Welcome to the Antioch Sheffield podcast. We are so glad that you can join us for today's message, which is brought to you by Pastor Todd Roberts. For more information about Antioch Sheffield, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk. Well, it's good once again to see those of you who are here in person and Thank you to all those of you who are turning, tuning in online. We're so glad that you have uh, joined us today for worship, wherever you're at. And um, today I'm going to be continuing a series that we began last week called Union, which is talking about our union with God as followers of Jesus. And this is something that I think is vitally important for every believer in this hour And to explain what I mean by that and why I think it's so important, I want to tell you about one of the dumbest things that I did when I was at university. Um, Anybody got moments that they look back on, maybe when you were back in your university days and you just think, oh my, what was I thinking? Or maybe you're a student now and you look back at something that you've done since you arrived at uni and and you think, oh my goodness, what was I thinking? Um, well, this was one of those moments for me, and uh, what, what happened was uh, some friends of mine, or a friend of mine and I, decided to take a road trip one weekend, and we were going to drive, I believe it was about three and a half hours away, and then come back at the end of the weekend. Pretty straightforward, right? But I, uh, for some reason, decided that I wanted to do this road trip. I wanted to do the entire drive without stopping to refill with petrol. I wanted to make the whole thing. It was, it was kind of like a precursor for some of the Top Gear challenges that they do, except this was way before Top Gear was in existence. And, and it might, I'm not sure why I thought this would be a good idea or why I should even attempt this, um, but I thought that you know maybe it had to do with budgetary reasons, but I really just think that I thought that my car was very economical, and I wanted to see just how economical my car was, what kind of uh, mileage it could get. And so we set off on our journey, and for the first, you know, as we're driving, uh, you know, watching gradually the the fuel uh, 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 indicator kind of gradually uh, slide over towards the empty side of things. But um, when we got about 100 miles from home, the uh, low fuel indicator light came on. But I was prepared for that. I expected that that would probably happen, and I thought... You know, they always kind of overestimate that, the engineers, when they put this together. We've got a tailwind. I'm sure we can make it this final 100 miles back home. So we passed 90 miles, 80 miles, still looking good. I mean, that needle now is now like, you know, kind of on the, the past the E, and it's like starting to dip even below that. But I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Got to 20 miles from home when suddenly the engine shut out, <laughs> and I cruise to a inglorious stop on the side of this busy motorway. And uh, my friend was not very impressed uh, with my uh, failure to get us home safely, and I had to make the, the, the walk of shame from my car to the nearest petrol station, which I think was about a half a mile away, where I had to buy a petrol can and fill it up with petrol and then lug it back to my car. Um, and, and at some point during that journey back, um, I had an epiphany that this was a really stupid idea, that this was really not worthwhile at all, and that I would never run out of petrol again because this was such a hassle. And um, to this day, I don't think I've ever run out of petrol again. Um, and I'm sure if you've run out of petrol, you have experienced the, uh, the, <laughs> the hassle that it is to uh, deal with a car with no petrol. So why do I tell you this story? 
Well, I think that the relationship of a car to petrol helps us understand the importance of union with God. You see, just as a car without petrol doesn't work, Christianity without union with God doesn't work. You know, if you think about it, it's a lot of, if you're trying to live the Christian life without union with God, it's kind of like trying to get a car to move without any petrol in it. You know, you can, yeah, sure, you can get out and push it, and maybe if you're on a downhill, it might, it might start rolling, but, but let's just be honest, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to wear you out. You're not probably going to get very far that way, and, and you're probably going to injure yourself in the process. You're going to be frustrated because you know this is not how a car is made to work. Whereas if a car has petrol in it, it's really simple. You just go stick your key in the ignition, turn on the engine, and you can drive vast distances in amazing, with amazing ease. In Christianity, when we're trying to live it without union with God, it's like trying to push that car with no petrol in it. But when we are living with union with God, it's like experiencing, it, it, it has an ease just like it does when we go and drive a car and, and drive it as it's supposed to be used, you know, with petrol in it. There's an ease and a grace to it. So that's why, as we were discussing last week, my, the core idea that I was sharing with you is that the Christian life is meant to be lived in union with God. The Christian life is meant to be lived in union with God, and the opposite is also true, that the Christian life doesn't work apart from union with God. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. I mean, that's such a strong statement, but Jesus is saying that just as a a car doesn't work without petrol, Christianity doesn't work apart from union with him. And here's the problem. I think so many of us in our Christian life are trying to live the Christian life apart from union with him. I think for many of us, we're doing it with the best of intentions. It's not maybe a conscious decision that we're making. It's just kind of something that we naturally kind of gravitate towards. There's this tendency that I think all of us have to try to try to do things on our own, to try to strive and prove ourselves to God, to try to earn his favor and affection. And, and it's, 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 we're, we're doing it with the best of intentions and good hearts. But as a result, we end up trying to live the Christian life separated from him without even realizing that we're doing it. And so we get spiritually exhausted. We experience lots of disappointment. We're puzzled by the of power that we're experiencing, that the, the lack of transformation that, we're, that we thought that Christianity would bring to our lives. And we're like, well, what's the problem? And we come to all kinds of terrible conclusions as a result. We might think, well, God just must not love me. We might think, well, I'm just not good enough to, to really be close to God. Those, those other people, those really spiritual people, they're close to God, but I'm never going to get there because I'm not disciplined enough. I, I, I'm not strong enough or self-controlled enough. Or, or maybe I, I, I just haven't, you know, God just, God's a million miles away. We come to all kinds of terrible conclusions about why God feels so far away. So that's why we have to learn to live in union with God. So just to remind you, what we said last week, how we define union with God is this. Union with God is living deeply connected to and being sustained by God. Living 
deeply connected to and being sustained by God. And, and the illustrations that the Bible uses to explain this is, is like a vine and a branch or a healthy relationship between a husband and a wife. That's the kind of union with God, that kind of oneness with God that we're meant to have. And that is the core and the essence of the Christian life. And if you remember where we left off last week was this question, you know, if, if union with God is so important, if union with God is essential to our Christian life as petrol is to a vehicle, then what do we need to do to obtain our union with God? If this is so important, then, you know, we got to do something, right? We got to somehow obtain this union with God. What, what do we need to do to make that happen? Well, the answer might surprise you. Because the answer is nothing. There's absolutely nothing you can do to obtain union with God. And that might kind of be a frustrating answer. <laughs> but this is what the Apostle Paul was talking about in Ephesians 2.13. Listen to what he says. He says, but now... You have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. I want you to notice that twice in this passage, Paul says, you have been united with Jesus. You have been. And he's talking to believers. He's saying, now you have been united with Jesus. It's not something that you have to earn. There's nothing that you can do to, to make it happen. You can't, there's no aspect of it that comes from ourselves because it's the result of the blood of Christ. In other words, what Jesus did on the cross for us is he erased the barrier of separation that is caused by sin between us and God. When he died on that cross, it talks about the veil in the temple that separated all humanity from the presence of God being torn into. And it was a picture of what Jesus did for us. He, he removed that veil so that we can step into the presence of God without shame or fear. Once we were far away, but now we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And as a result, we have union with God, not because of our own efforts, not because of our own striving, not because we had our quiet time this morning, not because we prayed a lot last week, not because we did a big fast, not because we memorized a bunch of scripture, not because we went to church, not because we did a mission trip, not because of any of that stuff. We have union with Christ because of what Jesus did on the cross, and that is the only way that we can have union with God. It's not possible in any other way. And I think that's good news. I think that's really good news. You know, instead of striving and trying to make things happen and feeling like a failure and being frustrated and disappointed and exhausted, it's a completely different starting point for us. It's a completely different... There's some, it's so different to... For, uh, instead of trying to get something that you don't have to start from a place of having it already. So let me put it this way. Union with God is, something, is not something that is earned. It's something that's given. Union with God is not something that's earned. It's something that's freely given. And the word that the Bible uses for this is grace. 
And if you really let this truth sink into your heart, you'll be like, well, that's amazing. I don't have to do anything to earn this, but that's what grace is. Grace gives us what we don't deserve. And that's why we talk about God's grace. That's why we sing amazing grace, because his grace really is that amazing. But union with God isn't, isn't you know, it, it, it's, it's this reality that, that we have it. Is, it doesn't, the, the challenge that we face, the problem that I think so many of us face in, in receiving this and accepting it is that it doesn't feel true most of the time, right? I mean, so much of the time, we feel distant from God. God feels a million miles away from us. Maybe through the course of this pandemic, You've wondered, where are you, God? Why are you so far away? Why do I not feel your presence? What, why is this, why do I feel like we're just not even, like I'm not even a believer at times? All of us have probably felt that at one point or another. And that's the challenge that so many of us face in the life of faith is that, is that our feelings don't often line up with what's true. So what is it? Why, why don't we feel that? Well, let me just start by, to answer that question by just with a simple statement here, that feelings aren't facts, right? Our feelings are not always the most reliable indicator of what's true and what's not true. My dad, for example, uh, was a pilot for a long time. In fact, he was a flight instructor, and so he would train uh, up-and-coming pilots. And one of the things that he had to train them to do was to learn to fly solely relying on their instruments. In fact, uh, at one point, they had to black out their cockpit so that they could not see anything outside. They could only look at their instruments in order to fly. Now, why, why do they do this? Why is that so important? Because a pilot that doesn't know how to use his instruments will fly just based on his physical sensations. And that works when it's clear and sunny and you've got lots of visual references, but what happens when you fly into a cloud? Or what happens when you're flying at night over the ocean and, and you can't see, there's no horizon, there's no visual references, and you're just relying on your physical sensations to, to determine if you're flying correctly? And apparently, what the way it ha- the, you know, when you're in a plane, your, your senses can be deceptive, your feelings can lie to you, and you might feel like you're flying straight and level but you might be in a dive or you might be in a bank and you don't feel it at all. And many, many, many accidents have occurred because pilots have relied on their feelings versus what their instruments were telling them. So the the challenge for a pilot is to discipline themselves, especially when there's no visual references, to look at their instruments to let them know what is true, what is accurate. And it's the same in our faith. There's so many things about our faith that at times do not feel true. Jesus said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Sometimes that doesn't feel true to me. Sometimes I feel like, God, I, I don't feel your presence at all. Where, where are you right now? And, and, and that's like the equivalent of us flying through a fog bank. <laughs> we can't see anything, but we're just trusting this to be true. We're trusting what the Bible says. We're trusting that Paul, in this case, is, was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this down and preserve it for us because this is, this is kind of what's on our instrument panel and on our instrument panel is not, you know, showing our, how, how level we are. It's showing us that we are united with God already. This is what the life of faith is all about. So feelings 
They aren't facts. We don't want to just rely on feelings to learn what's true and learn what's not true. But there's something else about, about learning how to embrace this reality that, of union with God. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't necessarily come easily to us. It's not some, it, it's, it takes such a, a shift of mindset that, that it, it, it takes some transformation on the way. And, and let me just put it this way, because most of the rest of the series, we're going to be talking about how it is that we learn to embrace the truth of, of what Christ has done for us on the cross, that we already have union with God. So let me just say this, learning to live and embrace our union with God takes practice. It takes practice. So think about it this way. Just because you're given a gift doesn't mean that you automatically know how to use it. Like if I gave you a car, that doesn't mean that you're not going to have to learn to drive. That you're going to have to, you, you won't have to get your driver's license just because I gave you a car, right? And getting a driver's license here is, is no small feat. <laughs> or, or maybe if you have a natural gift, maybe you're a natural pianist or something. You might be naturally gifted, but that doesn't mean you don't have to practice to, to develop those gifts and make them useful. We need to, uh, there's a process, even when you're given something, of learning how to use it, learning how to embrace it, learning how to practice the thing that you've been given. So how do we practice union with God? How, how, how does this reality or how does this truth become reality in our lives? Well, I think it starts in the words of the old Apple campaign, the advertising campaign. It starts by learning to think different. Think different. You know, I think so many of us, we underestimate the importance of our thought life. And learning how to live in this truth is a fundamental shift in how we normally think. We normally think, hey, I've got to somehow do good and, and, and be a good person and do lots of religious and spiritual things if I'm going to be close to God. That's our, our default mindset. In order for that to change, we have to let God change the way that we think. And this is what Paul was saying in Romans 12 too. Many of you are familiar with this verse, but he said this, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. And by the way, the behavior and customs of this world isn't just talking about, you know, sinful things that people are doing or, you know, going out clubbing or whatever. One of the things that he's talking about there is this natural mindset that we have, this sinful mindset, or it's a, I think it's the result of the fall, that we've got to do something to be united with God, that we've got to perform, we've got to strive, we've got to earn it somehow. That's the default mindset. And Paul's saying, don't let the behavior and the, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. Now imagine that. Imagine being a new person where all the hangups that you have right now, all the wounds that you're carrying with you, all the pain from your past, all the addiction, all the, all the trauma that you've dealt with, all of that's gone, and you're a new person. I think all of us long for that at some level. All of you who are here this morning or who are watching online, we all long for that at some level. Otherwise, you wouldn't be tuning in or joining us at church. But how does God do it? How does God change us into a new person? Well, Paul answers in the second part of the verse. He says, 
God, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So God changes us into a new person by changing the way that you think. Now this is, this is I, I think so many of us, we underestimate the power of our thought life and how big an impact our thought life has on our lifestyle. And so if, if God is going to change us as people, the place that the Holy Spirit most often will work with us is in our thought life. That's the place where he begins to address the, the, address the, the places in our lives that, that aren't in alignment with him, that aren't in union with him. What he does is he, he begins to give us his perspective on things. We begin to see as God sees the world. We begin to view life through the truth of his word rather than our feelings. And then, as it says there, it's, that's what he means there when he says, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. He's saying, you're going to begin to see life the way I see it. You're going to begin to, to, to view life through a true lens rather than through the lens of the world. So God's going to change us by changing primarily how we think about things, how we see things. So how does that work? I, I mean, I realize this, is, this can sound kind of just, you know, like a very theoretical message, but it can get very practical. And so how do we do this? How do we practice union with God? How do we allow him to change the way we think? Well, I want to give you two really simple suggestions this morning. And the first one is to declare it. Declare it. And what I mean by that is simply taking this truth and simply, you know, maybe it's first thing when you wake up in the morning or when you're starting off a, a prayer, you just say, I am united with God. I have union with him. I was created for union with God. And I have been united with him through the blood of Jesus. It's a simple statement that you make. And, and I, I got to admit, though, making declarations about things, I always kind of, I heard it, you know, people talk about it over the years. And I was was a little bit silly. Um, when I was growing up, there was a, a show that we watched in America called uh, Saturday Night Live. Anybody here familiar with that show? A few of you, yeah. Um, but for those of you who don't know, it's like a, it's a comedy show that happens every week, and they do sketches, and, and it's you know, often social commentary on what's happening politically and that kind of thing. Um, but they had a show for a, a sketch for a while in that show called uh, Daily Affirmations with Stuart Smalley. And um, it was a really funny sketch, and this guy was a very unimpressive man, and he would start off every show by looking in the mirror and getting a big smile on his face and say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. And that's how he'd begin the show, and it would go on from there. You can watch it on YouTube if you like, but, but, but that's what I always think of when I think about declarations, this sort of silly kind of wishful thinking, hoping that somehow what you wish for will become true. But that's not what I'm talking about here when I'm saying declare this. I'm talking about taking the word of God, what God has declared to be true, and speaking it over your life. You know, as I have got to know people that really do seem to live out of this union with Jesus, 
one of the things that I've noticed is a lot of these guys do declarations on a regular basis because they know that, that it's hard for them to retain this. Like, we're all kind of weak and broken vessels, and, and, and sometimes truth just kind of, you know, we, we have it, and then it just kind of slips through our fingers. We have it, and it kind of melts away. And part of being, you know, dust and being human beings is that, is that we need to be reminded of what's true on a regular basis. And so these, these people, they'll have lists of what's true, just passages from the Bible, promises from the Bible that they speak out and declare over their lives. And so what I want to encourage you to do is to simply take this fact that you have been united with Christ and start there. I've been united with Christ. What a great place. It's just such a different posture to begin with, you know? You're not starting from a place of trying to get something. You're starting from this place of having already been united with him. And we just need to be reminded of it. Second thing I want to encourage you to do, which just simply follows on from the first part, is thank God for our union with him. Thank God for our union with him. I mean, this is as natural as can be. So often when I'm starting prayer these days, I'll just say, God, thank you. Thank you that I have been united with you through what Jesus did on the cross. Thank you that I was created for union with you, and now I can live in union with you. God, help me to walk in that union today. Really simple. Just, a, just simply learning to give thanks for this truth. It just embeds it. Because when we, when we speak this out, when we pray this out, it creates a, a positive feedback loop. It rewires our brain. It rewires how we think about it. It helps... It helps us move from this posture of trying to earn union with God to to actually resting in the truth that we have union with God already. So it's really simple. I just want to encourage you to simply declare this truth that you have been united with God and thank him for it. Try it every day this week and see if that doesn't shift something in how you relate to God. See if that doesn't shift something in your posture to him. See if that doesn't change the sense of rest and peace and doesn't begin to, to erode some of the striving that's in your life. That's what God wants you to have. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you that you created each one of us with the capacity for union with you and that you made it possible through sending Jesus to die for us. Jesus, thank you that it's through your blood that we are united with you even now. God, we thank you for that truth. And Lord, I pray for every person this morning listening to this message, Lord, I pray that you would Wipe away that old mindset. I got to earn this. I got to, I got to strive for this. It's all about my performance and my self-discipline and my uh, uh, seeking of God in order to somehow be united with him. Instead, Lord, I pray that we would simply believe and receive this incredible truth that we have already been united with you. Lord, help us believe it. Help us receive it and help us to live in the light of this truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening today. To listen to more messages like this one, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk forward slash podcast. We are looking forward to seeing you soon.